The theme for this evening is kindness. And usually when we have a Dharma talk, there's a lot of talking. But tonight, while I'll be talking, I primarily want this to be a Dharma experience more than a Dharma talk. Um, in Zen, we, we focus on direct experience. That's what we can really know. And the word kindness is a concept. It's up here in our mind. And we can think about it, but to really know it, we need to experience kindness. So that's what I'm hoping we might do tonight. It strikes me that kindness is a rather fragile thing. Uh, we, in this part of the world, in the Northwest, we've had a lot of snow. Actually, a lot of the countries had a lot of snow. And that snow, when the conditions were just right, it fell and it was beautiful and it covered everything and made it so lovely. And it stayed as long as the conditions were right. And then when the conditions were no longer right, it started to melt away. And I think kindness, kindness is like that too. It appears when the conditions are right, but then it gets melted away quite easily. And in the case of kindness, I think it gets melted away by our afflictive emotions. The emotions that afflict us, that weigh us down, fear, greed, jealousy, and anger. We could name a lot of them. So kindness is a fragile thing. I'd like to, instead of just talking, what I'd like to do is let kindness do its own talking. So I'm going to read stories about kindness. And the stories, some of them are told from the person who is offering kindness, some from the person who is receiving kindness. And I just found these stories on the internet. It's not like they're um, my special experience. Uh, you could find them too. But what I'd like to suggest you do is allow these stories to wash over your body. Let kindness seep in so you can feel it. Not so much think about it, but feel it. And notice that feeling when it comes in. Some stories will touch you more than others. And when you do notice it touching you, pay particular attention to how your body feels as the kindness is there. This is an important thing for you to know for yourself, what kindness feels like. So you can recognize this as you go about your day and know directly what kindness really is. So here's a story from Jamie. While going through a divorce, my mother fretted over her new worries no income, the same bills, and no way to afford groceries. It was around this time that she started finding boxes of food outside our door every morning. This went on for months until she was able to land a job. We never did find out who it was who left the groceries for us, but they truly saved our lives. What is kindness? 
I'd like to propose that kindness is a lens through which we see and ultimately interact with the world. Now we're always looking through some kind of lens or other. Those lenses are called our mental formations. And some of our lenses distort reality in an unhelpful way, and others, other lenses that clarify reality and show it to us more truthfully. So kindness is one of the lenses that shows us reality. It shows us a deep truth. That kindness lens is, is warm and it's tender and it's forgiving. It helps both giver and receiver. Both are warmed and tenderized and forgiven. It's a wonderful lens to see through. So here's a story about kindness that shows up in an unexpected place. You know, sometimes we have the idea that kindness only happens for these kinds of people. And only these kinds of people can recognize and receive kindness. But this story points somewhere else. Dude in a truck honked at me at an intersection while I waited for an older woman to cross the street. I gave him the finger. He honked again. I repeated the gesture. He proceeded to follow me to a parking lot and block my car. I got out ready to throw punches. He got out. Huge man. I thought, I'm dead. He put out his hand to shake. He explained that he honked, but noticed his error when he saw the woman. So he honked again to say sorry. He followed me to personally apologize so he wouldn't ruin my day. We shook hands, changed me forever. Unexpected places. Kindness is always bubbling up, even among people we wouldn't expect it to bubble up and in ways we wouldn't expect it to bubble up. So as I, as I observed when I watched the snow fall and the conditions were just right for the snow, the same is true with kindness. It arises when conditions are right. And I, and I wanna mention two different conditions under which kindness can arise. One of those conditions is abundance. When we see that we're whole, that we have enough, it's easy for us to be kind. Here's a story from Sheila. Children were playing at the recreation area of an Ikea store when my five-year-old granddaughter motioned for a, for a small boy to stop. She knelt down before him and retied his flopping shoelaces. She'd only just learned to tie her own. No words were spoken, but after she finished, both smiled and turned to race off in different directions. So I imagine this little girl had a sense of plenty in her and her kindness just flowed out of that fullness. She knew how to tie shoes. 
she knew the benefit of not stepping on her own shoelaces and falling down. And so she was able to share that kindness from her fullness. And I imagine that it felt really wonderful. So that's kindness that arises from our abundance or our fullness. But I think the conditions can also be right for kindness to arise from our difficulties, from our suffering. Now, this isn't always obvious because it's really hard to be kind when we're in the midst of suffering. People who are oppressed, who are discriminated against, who are poor and struggling, that can make it really hard for them to be kind. And, you know, what happens when we're in one of those positions is then we often blame others for our difficulties. And so it hardens us. It makes, makes the conditions really difficult for kindness to flourish. But our difficulties also open our hearts to others. In my world of, of chaplaincy and in hospitals and hospice, one of the models that we use often to think about how to help people is the model of the wounded healer. That it's our own wounds that give us an authentic connection to other people. You know, if we don't have that sense of our own suffering, if we don't know how we have had difficulty in our life, it's easy for us to float into the life of another and with a kind of a pitying um, attitude say, oh, they're there. But when we know our own suffering and we recognize that someone else is suffering, naturally the conditions for kindness are there because we don't want them to experience the kind of suffering we experienced. So um, our own suffering is a really potent way for kindness to arise. When you think of the people in your life who are the kindness, kindest, or even the people you know of who are the kindest, I imagine what you'll find is that they are people who have had deep suffering. I think of people like Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Thich Nhat Hanh, all of these people have had deep suffering in their lives. But it gave rise to kindness instead of bitterness. There's been lots of studies uh, about people who uh, are generous. And what these studies have found consistently that the poorer people are, the more generous they are. The richer they are, the less generous they are. So poor people are giving more often and more of what they have in general than rich people. I think it's because they know what it's like. So here's a couple of stories about that. And Stacy is the first one. I saw a dress in a consignment shop that I knew my granddaughter would love, but money was tight. So I asked the store owner if she could hold on to it for me. May I buy the dress for you? Asked another customer. Well, thank you, but I can't accept such a gracious gift, I said. Then she told me why it was so important for her to help me. 
She'd been homeless for three years, she said, and it had, been, had it not been for the kindness of strangers, she would not have been able to survive. I'm no longer homeless and my situation has improved, she said. I promised myself that I would repay the kindness so many had shown me. She paid for the dress and the only payment she would accept in return was a hug. So that shopper who used to be homeless knew how important it was to feel supported and loved. And I imagine it was a joy for her to be kind. Here's another one. I used to manage an LGBT bookstore. One night, a caller says he thinks he might be gay and is considering self-harm. We were not a crisis center, but as long as we're talking, he's safe, right? So I talk to this guy and I answer questions and I try to be encouraging and I'm maybe sounding a little frantic and I'm definitely ignoring the customers in the store. Suddenly, this angel of a woman puts her hand on my shoulder and asks for the phone. My turn, she says. And she, this 50-something lesbian, talks to the stranger on the phone. And a line forms behind her. Every customer in that store knows that call, knows that feeling. And every person takes a turn talking to that man. That story comforts me so much to this day. Kindness arising out of suffering. How do we cultivate kindness? Kindness isn't a feeling, it's an ability. Kindness is not a feeling, it's an ability. So the more we practice this ability of kindness, the kinder we become. And the kinder we become, the happier we become. So kind action can precede kind feeling. We don't have to wait to feel kind, to act kind. We can act kind and trust that kind, the feeling of kindness will follow. So there's four facets of kindness that I'd like to highlight tonight. And since kindness is pervasive, there are many facets, but there's four that I particularly want to point out. And those are compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, and generosity. So I'll take those one at a time. So the first facet, compassion, which is seeing a need and taking action. So here's a story about that. I was balancing caring for a toddler and working full time, all while my Navy husband was on an extended duty overseas. One evening, the doorbell rang. It was my neighbor, a retired chief petty officer, holding a breadboard loaded with freshly cooked chicken and vegetable stew. 
I've noticed you're getting a little skinny, he said. It was the best meal I'd had in months. That was Patricia. So compassion is an active part of kindness. We see a need and we act. It's spontaneous and free. It doesn't require calculation. It, you see the need and the action just arises, like the song coming out of a bird. The bird doesn't think through the song. The bird just sings the song. And that's what compassionate action is like. We see the need and we simply act. We see it, we take the action, and then we let go. And we see something new and we act on that and we let go. So take a moment, close your eyes, and recall a time when you acted spontaneously to help another person. When that action arose naturally within you and you stepped forward and acted. As you recall that, notice how it feels in your body. I notice my body feels open and free and light. So that's the first facet, compassionate action. So the second facet of kindness is sympathetic joy, which is finding the joy in others' joy. So I think it's really interesting that in English, I don't know that we have a word for this. There's, there's some words in other languages. You know, I, I'm thinking of schadenfreude, the German word about taking joy in another's misfortune. And they also have mitfreude, which is taking joy along with another person. But in English, we don't seem to have this word. And I think we have words for what we know. So this maybe is something that culturally we don't know very well, how to take joy in someone else's joy. So here's a story about that. I forgot about the rules on liquids in carry-on luggage. So when I hit security at the airport, I had to give up all my painting supplies. When I returned a week later, an attendant was at the baggage area with my paints. Not only had he kept them for me, but he'd looked up my return date and time in order to meet me. This was Marilyn. So I'm imagining the attendant took joy in the joy the artist felt when she recovered her art supplies. Why else would this person do this? Why else would this person inconvenience themselves, hold onto these things for a week, make a special effort to meet her at that time and place if he wasn't or she wasn't taking joy in the artist's joy? So see for a moment again, close your eyes and see if you can recall an incident in your life when you took joy in another's joy.
And what does that feel like in your body? Taking joy in another person's joy is a powerful Dharma gate. And here's why. If we only take joy in the good things that happen to us, we have a very small pool of joyful events. But if we can take joy in the joy of everyone around us, we have an almost infinite supply of joy. Imagine living like that. Imagine watching for others' joy and taking joy in that. What a life that could be. So the third facet of kindness is equanimity. And in this, in this context, I'd like to define that as lending your own calmness to another person. Here's a story about that. I was in the middle of a silent panic attack while waiting for a flight. Another passenger's assistant's dog evidently noticed my condition and pulled its person to come by me. The dog put its head on my lap for 20 minutes until I felt better. The dog shared its calmness. You know, our own happiness is vital. It's vital because it becomes a treasure that we can share with others. If our own happiness is just for ourselves, then it can be selfish. But when our own happiness is fostered for the benefit of all, that we can give away from this bottomless well of happiness, then we are a powerful force for kindness in the world. And we do this every time we gather as a Zen community. This is the last thing we do. We dedicate the merit of our practice. May the merit of this practice benefit all beings and bring peace. That is giving away all the benefit for others. This is the equanimity, the facet of equanimity, lending our calmness to another. We don't come and sit so our lives get better. We come and sit so we can make everyone's lives better. So much more rewarding. Now, the fourth, fourth facet of kindness is generosity. And I'd like to define that as loosening our grip. Loosening our grip. Here's a story. I was grocery shopping with my three-year-old and he really wanted some gummy bears. I explained to my son that we couldn't afford it because daddy lost his job. A man came up and said, you dropped this and handed me a $50 bill. Hmm. So recall for a moment your last generous act. 
feel your goodness. And as you recall that, you might want to wonder, who received more? The receiver or the giver? I keep a box of granola bars in my car where I can reach them. And whenever I see someone on the side of the road that's homeless, that is uh, asking for assistance, I'll offer some of these. And I hope it makes a difference to them to have something to eat, but it sure makes a difference to me. I feel so good to be able to do some tiny bit to help this person from my unbelievably outrageous good fortune. So generosity loosens our selfishness and it expands our hearts. So the more we give, the more our heart swells out and embraces the world. And the more we give, the more we have to give. And the more we give, the happier we become. Our kind acts are followed by kind feelings. We act first and the kind feeling follows. So just to review, four facets of kindness that I, that I mentioned are compassion, which is seeing a need and taking action. Sympathetic joy, which is finding joy in the joy of others, which by the way, a friend suggested maybe we, we need, the English word we might wanna create for that is joinerosity. Oh, that was pretty fun. Uh, and then the third facet is equanimity, lending your own calmness to another, and generosity, which is loosening the grip. I like to think of kindness as the undercurrent of all things. It's what naturally arises when its impediments are removed. And when we feel peaceful and at ease, kindness is just spontaneously there. When we know our abundance, kindness is just there. When we know our suffering, kindness is there. When we see through the illusion of ourselves as separate, kindness is there. We can think of kindness as the very fabric of the universe. I think Christianity's genius is that it tells the story of our unimaginable vast unity as a love story. So a kind and loving God sees you, embraces you, nurtures you, no matter what. It's a love story. And in fact, our idea of God in, in this Christian sense is exactly these four facets of kindness. So God hears our prayers and responds. That's compassion. God takes joy in our joy. That's sympathetic joy. God embodies calm equanimity. And God provides everything we need, generosity. So I think across cultures, 
across times, we recognize that kindness is the fundamental fabric that's there. Ram Das, who comes from a Hindu tradition, used to describe himself toward the end of his life as, I am kind awareness. After a lifetime of practice, that's what he found to be there when everything else had been stripped away. So I'll end with, uh, with a poem by Rick Terwilliger, who's an Oregon poet, writes beautifully. He says, take care of your neighbor, do it quietly without their knowledge, without seeking praise. Do it in such a way that they are unaware of your efforts. This is the hidden gate, the one you've been looking for. I'll read that one more time. Take care of your neighbor. Do it quietly, without their knowledge, without seeking praise. Do it in such a way that they are unaware of your efforts. This is the hidden gate, the one you've been looking for. 